This is a Federal News Network podcast. Most chief data officers are relatively new to their jobs, but not to their agencies. And that gives them a leg up, meeting goals under the Federal Data Strategy and the Evidence Act. But an annual survey of CDOs finds persistent hurdles like workforce skills, change management, and funding, always funding. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has the latest. Congress passed the Evidence Act more than two years ago, requiring agencies to name a chief data officer. There are now more than 80 members of the government-wide CDO Council. But how are CDOs doing at their jobs? What are they getting done at their agencies, and where are they still running into problems? It turns out a few groups are asking those questions. The Data Foundation and Grant Thornton are releasing the results of their second annual CDO survey. The survey gives a benchmark of what CDOs are doing and what hurdles they've had to deal with. The CDO Council has been asking those same questions of its members. Dan Morgan is the CDO at the Transportation Department. He's also vice chairman of the CDO Council. He says the council held its own survey earlier this year, asking a lot of the same questions. What we did was we really wanted to begin studying how our own role was evolving, how our agencies were responding to the role of chief data officer, and where we needed to support our own members to help them be successful. For starters, Morgan says timing wasn't on the CDO Council's side. We started in January of 2020, and then there was a pandemic, and so we're just now hitting our stride. For one thing, Morgan says CDOs are new to this job, but they're usually not new to their agencies. They have been serving in their organizations in other kinds of roles and maybe have assumed this new role, or they've been given this role as an additional responsibility. And I would say about two in five CDOs still are performing additional duties, and CDO is not their primary responsibility. This happens a lot in the small and independent agencies, which makes sense. And frequently you'll find somebody's jointly dual-headed as a CIO and a CDO. But we're starting to learn how that can change. There's also the question of who a CDO reports to. The Evidence Act left that reporting structure up to agencies, and Morgan says there's no one-size-fits-all answer. And that makes sense, too. Depending on where the organization's pain points with data might be, it may make sense for the data function to be more closely aligned with the strategic planning or performance planning function. Or it may make sense for it to be aligned with the policy development and research function. Or it may makes sense to be aligned with the CIO organization, depending on how how the CIO organization has been formed and how relevant it is to the agency's mission. CDOs are moving the needle on some important goals. Many are putting together agency data strategies and putting data goals and objectives into their agency's strategic plans. But CDOs are also running up against a few walls. Here, Morgan walks through the hurdles that are most common for CDOs. So our CDOs are worried about and making investments in their own agency workforces. So even if we're just a one-person shop, we are recognizing the need to partner across the agency and really lift up the data skills of all of our data users. So we're looking at workforce investments and data skills programs. We're also seeing a lot of change management needs. So CDOs are not just technical experts in data. They are leading change inside their agency, building an appetite for data governance, while they're also trying to focus on unlocking the value of data to support their mission. And ultimately, resource alignment. This is not a function that was put into a budget cycle quite yet. It's just starting to get into budget cycles. And so being able to prioritize or leverage resources across the agency is a skill that CDOs are honing every day. On the workforce piece, CDOs are making some headway. 
The CDO Council partnered with the U.S. Digital Service and the Office of Personal Management earlier this year on a government-wide data science hiring initiative. More than 500 people applied in less than 48 hours. That got narrowed down to 100 qualified data scientists for agencies to hire at the GS-13 and 14 level. But there's more guidance that agency CDOs are expecting from OPM. The agency is working on creating an official job series for data scientists in government. Thomas Beach is the interim chief data officer at the Commerce Department. He says that missing job series makes it hard for agencies to recruit for this kind of talent. Data scientist as a job series doesn't exist in government. So just imagine you couldn't even hire one under that label. So it's forthcoming. But again, government doesn't move quickly like that. But just to give you an understanding, you know, we're, we're pushing for this competency model, which is sort of, does your job require you to have data skills? You know, we're not looking at everyone becoming a data scientist. That's, that's not what we're doing. But everyone can use evidence for decision making at any level of their job. As far as next steps go, it helps when CDOs have buy-in from the top. And Morgan says data figures prominently into the Biden administration's top priorities. Whether it's equity or climate change, defeating COVID-19 or driving economic justice, data is at the center of what we're going to need to understand the issues and is essential to tracking our progress. CDOs are already playing critical roles inside their agencies to drive these priorities forward. Our profession will continue to evolve, and we want to work with all of our stakeholders to continue to make meaningful progress. The latest survey from the Data Foundation and Grant Thornton reached many of the same conclusions. Tracy Jones, a manager for Grant Thornton Public Sector, is one of the authors of the report. Walking through the results of the report, she highlighted a few interesting trends. 75% of CDOs who took the survey this year described their role and the scope of their work as very or completely clear. That's more than a 20% improvement compared to the first annual survey when most CDOs were just getting started. 75% of CDOs also completed five of six agency action items under the federal data strategy. CDOs made the most headway, putting together a diverse data governance body. But they also made progress completing data inventories, assessing the maturity of their data infrastructure, and identifying the data agency executives need to answer questions. The survey also found CDOs were mixed on who they identify as their boss. 30% report to their agency head, 15% report to the chief information officer, and 40% report to their chief operating officer. 30% say they report to someone else. As for who a CDO interacts with most, the survey found they spend the most time with agency customers, chief financial officers, and CIOs. Jones says one surprising response was that CDOs don't spend a lot of time with agency evaluation or performance officers. It's not necessarily that that's a bad thing at all, but it is worth noting because in in some instances, you know, the CDO may actually be the evaluation officer. So I guess they could be talking to themselves. But since the CDO role was formed under the Evidence Act and is to help support evidence, it is interesting that there is less communication going on in this area. And so it's an area where, you know, we need to look at, would that have more value if there was more communication? And what barriers are there in establishing more communication? Jory Heckman, Federal News Network. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. 
During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me, and I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day, and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop, and he would focus on me, and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, 
what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening. 
to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.